good morning, everyone. Welcome again to the church in Indian Lake. If you're a visitor and you looked online and you saw Pastor Aaron's picture and I walked up here and you said, that's not that guy. I'm not. I'm not Pastor Aaron Allison. I'm not. I didn't just shave my head and beard for today. Um, I am Pastor Chip Johnson and Pastor Aaron is with his family on an extended vacation because of fall break this week. And uh, so we want to wish them well in our prayers as they're gone this week. Uh, But I'm delighted to be able to uh, be here and bring the message to you this morning. But I have a confession to make before we start. And it's not a confession that I'm I'm exceptionally proud of. And my family is a little bit embarrassed by it. My uh, 16 or 17-year-old, rather, was here at the first service. He's almost 18. He's going to turn 18 next week. He was here at the first service, and and he kind of buried his head when when I made this confession. But I have to tell you all that for several years now, I had been a NASCAR fan. And not just a NASCAR fan, but a Jeff Gordon fan in particular. And if you do follow the sport, you know that he's retiring this year. But many years ago, I didn't really even know who Jeff Gordon was. Back in the, the mid-1990s, he had already come onto the scene, but I was not a NASCAR fan at all. But I had two brother-in-laws who were, and they were big Jeff Gordon fans. And we would get together for a family gathering, and for six hours, all I would hear about was NASCAR and Jeff Gordon and this and that and the other. And I would just sit there and nod and try to smile occasionally and act like I was paying attention to the conversation, but I was not. And so after about a year of that, I thought, well, you know what? Right beforehand, I will read the newspaper or get online and I will find out what is going on in NASCAR so that I will be able to participate in the conversation. And so I would look up a couple of facts and so I would you know, throw those facts in there to make it look like, oh yeah, I'm a NASCAR fan too. But I wasn't really still. But something kind of interesting happened as I was trying to you know, catch up and, and learn, I did become interested. And then I became a little more interested. And all of a sudden, next thing you knew, I was every Sunday afternoon watching the race and paying attention to the points and all that Jeff Gordon was doing. And so for about three years, I was very much into the sport. And then I got an opportunity in Michigan in June of 1999 to go to Brooklyn, Michigan in the Irish Hills to Michigan International Speedway. And me and my brother-in-laws, we planned the whole weekend and we bought our tickets and I had a Jeff Gordon t-shirt and a Jeff Gordon hat and I had bought a Jeff Gordon die-cast car that I was going to get him to autograph. And so we bought our pit passes and we hung out on pit road all day long, three and a half hours in the hot, hot sun waiting for qualifying to begin where they push all of the cars out onto pit road and then the drivers walk down pit road and the good ones, they'll shake hands and they'll do autographs and they'll spend some time with the fans that have gathered there. And so me and my two brother-in-laws had figured out what we thought was the ideal place. If we stand right here up against the wall, he'll have to come past us and maybe we'll convince him to be able to come and, and give us autographs. And so we positioned ourselves and after a while they did push his car out and so we knew it was coming. He was gonna be coming out any moment. And so then we saw him. We saw him in his, his blue hat and his blue and red outfit and he was walking down pit road and everyone's, Jeff, Jeff, you know, trying to get his attention. And, and we were holding our, our, our cars or whatever we were there to, to get autographed. 
and noticed that he was not heading our way, that he was going to pass us. And so we started trying to position ourselves. Well, then we were behind five rows of people, but he finally made his way over to Pitt Road. And we were, we were trying to get our, our thing up there as far as we could to try to get the car signed. And, and it looked like he was about to walk away. And so I lunged and I got my hand right over the top of everyone. And he took the car and he signed it. And then he scolded everyone, said, stop pushing. You're hurting the people up here in the front. And so I took my car and said, yes, sir, thank you. And I had gotten my autograph. I had done what I got on that day to do. I was intentional about getting what I had come there for. It didn't matter how many little girls I had to crush as I was leaning over them. I didn't care. I was going to get an autograph from Jeff Gordon that day. We all can understand things that we do that are intentional in life rather than accidental. I didn't show up at, I don't know what I'm doing here. Oh, I don't know who that is. I don't know what this is. I mean, it was intentional. I had done everything that I needed to to execute on that particular day. There's things in life, though, such as marriage, where we think that we have been intentional about asking someone to marry us, and we were intentional about walking down the aisle and saying, I do. But from that point forward, we kind of leave it up to chance that everything's just going to magically somehow fit together and work together because that we're married. But I have had some lessons in my life that have helped me a great deal. About 15 years into our marriage, I was working as a Salvation Army officer, and one of my jobs was to plan big events. We planned youth events, and we planned several during each year, and I would spend all of my waking hours and sometimes sleeping hours thinking about these events. And I would wake up in the middle of the night and write things down and I would make lists and I would have meetings and we would plan strategy and, and we would put together uh, groups to, to talk about what the purpose of the event was going to be. And, and we would make sure that every little detail was covered. And so after several years of, of doing this job, uh, one year of my wife's birthday came around and we were doing the obligatory dinner and card, and we were sitting there at dinner, and I could tell that she was not happy. And so I asked her, honey, what's wrong? And she said, oh, nothing. Guys, if you've never asked your wife that and she's never answered it, that is code for there is something wrong. And so I continued to press, honey, what's the matter? Nothing, don't worry about it. And so finally, after much pestering and badgering, which she loves, mind you, she said, looked at me, and with a tear rolling down her cheek, she said, for one time, I wish you would spend as much time planning something for me as you do for the Salvation Army. And I was heartbroken. But it was a wake-up call for me to realize that I had to do some things intentionally to be a better husband to my wife. I don't stand up here as a master of this, nor an expert in the field, because if I preach for 30 minutes, Gaelic could get up here for an hour and tell you how I have failed in all of those ways. So I'm not standing up here to try to promote me above any one of you. But I have learned some things the hard way in life, and I hope that maybe today, I will be able to pass those on to you. And if you haven't had to learn them the hard way, perhaps it will make a difference for you. We read about marriage 
pretty explicitly in the uh, book of Ephesians. And I have one verse that we'll look at on the screen later, but uh, the first part of this, I just want to read. If you want to read along, you can open your Bible to Ephesians 5, and we're going to start in verse 22. In Ephesians 5, 22, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, Husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. And then this is the key verse for today. Verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then I also would like to, to read 1 John 3, 11 and 3, 16, uh, because I think that they, they really show us an example of Christ's love. He says, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is how we have come to know that love. He laid down his life for us. Yesterday, we had the um, awesome privilege of seeing our uh, one of our daughters get married. And it was here at this, this very building. And uh, she walked down the aisle, and I had an opportunity for a few moments to speak to her and her fiance as, uh, as they were preparing to say their vows to each other. And the one piece of advice that I gave them in that uh, few moments, I said, if I can pass on one thing to you, it is to be intentional about your lives and about your love for each other. That intentionality is what allows us to grow and, and be different than the rest of the world. A lot of people want to say that the two leading causes of divorce are sex and money. And they say that if you can fix those two things, that your, your, your marriage will survive. But those two things, most of the time, are just symptoms of something much deeper. And that's a lack of intentionality about our marriage. So I'd like to talk to you today about some things that I have learned along the way, not just from my own uh, education, but learned from other people, other men that I have, have come in contact with that have helped me to be able uh, to be intentional about my marriage. And so the first one is to be able to speak the same language as my wife. And we were both born in the United States, both grew up in English-speaking schools, but somehow we have not always spoken the same language. For those of you who have studied history, you know that the turning point in World War II for the Allies was when they finally figured out how to break the codes of the Germans. For several months and years, the Germans seemed to be one step ahead of, of the Allies every turn. If they were going to attack someplace, that place was no longer inhabited when they got there. If they were going to uh, be defending a particular place, 
Somehow the Germans figured out how to attack there first before they were able to set up defenses. And it was frustrating the allies, but finally they figured out how to decrypt those messages that were being sent by the Germans. And they were able to turn the war and be able to begin to to win because they understood the power of communication that they had to be able to speak that language. They had to be able to understand what was being said. If you were to go visit a foreign country, you might be able to stay for a week or two weeks and, and not have to learn the language. But if you moved there and you were immersing yourself in the culture and you were doing business there and you were shopping there and living there, eventually you would have to learn what that foreign language was. You'd have to be able to figure out how to communicate. We and our spouses, they sometimes speak a different language than we do. There was a book written by Gary Chapman several years ago, and it was a a very popular in pop culture type of, of things. It was called The Five Love Languages. But those five love languages are very accurate at depicting how we give and receive love in our lives. If you've never read the book, um, there's lots of places online you can go and you can read about it if you don't want to go actually pick up the book. But the five love languages that he identifies are acts of service, words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, and giving gifts. And most men and women, if you look at what really helps them to feel loved and the ways that they really like to give love, they have a hierarchy, if you will, of those five things. So for me, the order that I just read, that's, that's the five ways in the order in which I rank them from most important to least important. So again, for me, it's acts of service followed by words of affirmation, then physical touch, then quality time, and then giving gifts. If you were to ask my wife that question and flip that list upside down, that would be her hierarchy of how she ranks those from most important to least important. So for her, quality time and giving gifts are number one and two, and they are interchangeable, and I have to know which one is which at any given time. So those are the things that we have to work on in order to be able to understand each other. Because for years, she would come home and give me uh, a new shirt or uh, a new belt or a pair of pants or something else, and I would go, oh, okay. And she would go away very dejected and heartbroken because that was her way of saying, I love you. And I was like, eh. And I would clean the house and do the dishes and she would come home and I'd be like, and she would be like, oh, okay, thanks. And I'd be like, oh my goodness, she doesn't love me. And we didn't get each other the fact that I needed to see her doing acts of service for me in order for me to feel loved. And so she's out buying gifts thinking she's doing great. And what I really wanted her to do was put away my socks or do the dishes. And she wanted me not to clean the house, but to spend some time with her sitting and talking and bringing her a a little token of my love from time to time. And that was how she wanted to feel loved. And so many times we are talking a different language and we don't realize that that other person is dying inside because that they're not speaking the same language that we are. So understanding how to understand each other is an intentional way that we can work on our marriage. Another thing that we need to make sure that we're doing is to guard our marriage. I think that it's easy to immediately when I say those words, think of uh, the other woman or the other man. But there's 
some things that are much more basic that we have to guard against. The first one, and it really speaks to the verse that we read earlier, Ephesians 5.31, rather. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This idea of leaving the mother and the father somehow has escaped the last couple of generations. I don't know how many times we've done marital counseling where when we really start to dig into things, there's a mom in the picture or there's a dad in the picture and the husband or the wife is more attached to mom or dad than to the spouse. And mom or dad means well and is loving and is wanting to exert influence into this relationship, but it's destroying the relationship. And the the husband or the wife that's not the son or the daughter is sitting by watching like a third party as their marriage falls apart. And we have to guard against allowing a mother or a father to be more important than our lives than that spouse. It's very clear that God said, you will leave your mother and father and cleave to your wife. As a spouse, that's where your attention should be is to that, to that spouse and not to the mother or the father. Another place that is really easy to become very distracted and and not guard against is with our kids. Our generation right now is all about the kids, the travel teams, the special events, the school plays, the all of the different meetings and appointments. And we can become so consumed with making sure that we're getting our kids to different places that we're not doing anything to provide attention to our spouse. We love our kids. We want our kids to to grow and learn. But the best lesson that they can possibly learn is to see mom and dad loving each other and intentionally spending time with each other because guess what? You've only got them for 18 years and then they're gonna go out on their own, maybe 20 years, 25 years. It just depends on, you know, how long they hang around. But at some point, they're gonna go on out of the house and they're going to be on their own with a new spouse and they're going to have to learn all of those things. Hopefully, they've learned them from watching you. And at some point in time, once the kids are gone and mom and dad look at each other in that empty house, if they've not been intentionally working on their relationship together during that time, they're gonna be strangers. So making sure that we guard against letting our kids become a priority above our spouse is something that's very important. The next is guarding against hobbies. And this verse that I read about laying down our lives, 1 John 3, 16, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. The example of all that we read here today is about Jesus, the groom, and the church being the bride. And so what we read in these scriptures helps us to understand what God's example to us as husband and wives is supposed to be. Jesus, the groom, laid down his life for the church. We as husbands, guys, we need to be laying down our lives for our wife. If there's a hobby that is more important than your wife, then I'm gonna talk really hard to you right now. That's a hobby you need to lay down. It's not that you can't have an activity that you do without your wife, but if it becomes a priority over spending time with her, You need to lay it down. Wives, the same goes for you. It doesn't explicitly say wives laying down their lives for their husbands, but it does say wives submit to your husbands. If there's something you're putting before your spouse, chances are God didn't put it there. 
And maybe you need to examine that in your heart. And guarding against work and other distractions. We all have, most of us have jobs, unless you're retired. We can't let our jobs become so important to us that we don't dedicate time to our spouse. There is other guarding that we need to do in our, in our marriages. One of the things that we say is accidental is becoming attracted to another individual and spending time with that person. It happens a lot in the workplace. We have to be intentional about setting boundaries and guarding our marriages against those kinds of relationships. Ladies, if you've got a guy best friend at work that you share things with, that's dangerous. Men, if you've got a female person that you spend time with that you like to share all of your frustrations with your wife with, you're in trouble. Those are the kinds of things that we have to guard ourselves against to make sure that we're setting up the kind of boundaries intentionally that need to be there. Finally, we need to train ourselves. I think that this was the place in, in my life where I really began to understand my wife and I began to really reap the benefits of being married to her in a tangible way on a daily basis when I began to train myself. Um, we've got a couple of runners in the room here. I know Sid is one. You've run some marathons. Sid, did you just wake up one day and said, tomorrow, I think I'll run a marathon. But did you do it? <laughs> no. Now, when you're training for a marathon, do you run a marathon every week leading up to it? Yeah. So you lead up to it. You don't run 26 miles every day leading up to it because you'd kill yourself. But you have to train yourself. You have to build up to it. We have a marathon in our uh, married lives called the anniversary, and we have uh, birthdays. And we think that if we just sit on the couch for 364 days, that on the 365th, we can go out and do some huge gesture and it's gonna be enough. And the marathon trainer understands that I can't just wait for the day of the anniversary. I've got to build up to it. I've got to daily go out and commit myself to being disciplined and intentional in the way that I go about life. A gardener, a farmer, is very intentional about planting a crop. They go out and they plow the field and they, they cultivate the dirt and they get rid of the rocks and the weeds and, and then they carefully place the seeds into the ground. Then they make sure that it has plenty of water and sunlight. They make sure that the animals and the, the pests stay away from their crops. They go out and they uh, tend every single day to that crop in hopes that it's going to yield what it is that they have hoped for. That's the example that we should be looking at of daily looking at what can we do. Because what would happen if the farmer just tossed some seeds out into some dirt and then walked away? It wouldn't be a very pretty garden after a period of time. Likely as not, there wouldn't be a lot of good food to eat. And if the farmer came around, it's like, oh, what is going on, garden? Why, why aren't you growing better? Why don't you love me and, and grow for me? Well, guess what? Farmer, you've got a responsibility to daily come out and cultivate me in order to get what it is that you have hoped for. In our marriages, we can't just 
walk away and think, oh, it's going to all be okay, and then come back and be angry when it's not everything that we thought it should be. A very wise mentor of mine once pulled me aside, and he told me a piece of advice that has stuck with me. He said, your marriage is like a fire, and most men want to just grab a big, huge tree and try to drag it to the fire once in a while. He said, is it easy to pick up a big tree and carry it? I was like, no. He said, what about every day grabbing a twig and putting it onto the fire? Is it easy to grab a twig? And I was like, yeah. He said, you just got to be intentional about it. Every single day, do something to let your spouse know that they are important to you. Gail and I read a devotional book together uh, a while, um, probably about five years ago by James Dobson. And one of the first readings in that, in that book is about an older couple who's telling a story about how that they would leave notes for each other around the house, and the note didn't say anything other than these letters, S-H-M-I-L-Y, Schmiley. No, it's not some weird uh, Yiddish word. It stood for, see how much I love you. And they would write these notes, and they would hide them places around the house so that when they the spouse would go and open up a book or open up the cupboard that there's these notes would be there. And they did this over their entire marriage of 30 plus years. And the story was being told by the surviving spouse who said, even after they died from time to time, I would open up a book and out would fall a note. And I would remember that he had said, see how much I love you. From that I decided that I was going to begin to send Gayla an email every single day, letting her know how much I loved her. Technology age, you know, no handwritten notes. Got to send it by email. But it was a way for her, when I was away from her at work, and I was spending my days away that she knew that I was thinking about her. And when it comes to training, I had to set an alarm on my phone for over a year to remind myself to make sure that I did this thing that I had intended to do. It may seem a little forced, but you know what? After a year of having that alarm go off every single day, I don't even have to think about it anymore. When I'm at work, there's at least one moment of every day where I'm thinking, oh, my wife, and I'll open up my computer and I'll send her that email and she opens it up and she's able to look back through the last 1188 messages that she's gotten from me and be able to see how much that I love her, how much I think about her. And I don't say that to say that's what you've got to do as a guy. You come up with your own and make it special for you and your wife. And she sends me a text thinking about you, love you, And it's just, it's a little reminder throughout the day. It's something intentional that I've let her know. It means a lot to me when you do that. And she's told me, when I forget every once in a while, I get home and we'll be sitting there and she'll hold up her phone and she's like, hmm, something's missing today. (laughs) She looks forward to that. That's, she looks, and if if I don't send it until much later in the day, I, you know, she's, she tells me later, she's like, I looked all day long for your email today. Finally saw it at 4.30, but it's something that we have connected with and be able to know that on a daily basis, we're being intentional. I've got one final thing, and then I want to pray for marriages, and then uh, we're going to take communion together 
Aubrey and Jennifer are going to come up. Um, one other thing that is crucial to marriage is being intentional, is to intentionally date your spouse. It doesn't have to be a big dinner. It doesn't have to be anything that is elaborate or expensive. It can be something as simple as sitting on the back porch for an hour without the kids bothering you just so you can talk. It could be something as simple as going to McDonald's and sharing a, a shake or a Sunday and sitting there away from other things and talking to your spouse and making sure that you're communicating and being intentional about being with that person. If you are too busy to date your spouse, you're too busy. It doesn't have to be something every day, but it should be regularly, maybe a week, a week at a time. But date your spouse. Be intentional about it. God gave us this example of being the person who would lay down our lives for each other, about being willing to sacrifice oneself. You can use this idea of intentionality across any part of your life, whether it be finances or exercise or anything else, the things that you are intentional about, the things that you make time for are the ones that you deem as important. So the question today is, is your spouse important to you to be intentional? If you're married, just raise your hand real quickly and look around. If you're not married, see someone that has their hand up. As I pray here in just a moment, reach your hand out towards that person. If you're close enough, maybe put a hand on a shoulder and let's pray for the marriages that are in this church.